Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Robin, and this fortnight on Books That Burn, we are discussing Graceling by Kristen Cashore, the first book of the Graceling series. For our factions, we have Katza, Poe, Bitterblue, and Lek. And our first topic is Gaslighting. This will spoil a major twist of the book. If you do not want that major twist spoiled, definitely don't listen to this section. Um, and for clarity, we don't usually talk about spoilers unless it changes your rereading of it the second time. This is one of those. <laughs> yep, for sure. So now that you know that you have accepted the possibility of spoilers, uh, we are talking about Lek and gaslighting because his power is to magically gaslight people basically like whatever he says people believe it to be true um that's what his grace is grace is the term for in the books for special powers or whatever um gracelings are people with the powers and his grace is so powerful that it affects just the people who hear what he says and then they say the thing that he said and like it it keeps going it has like knock-on effects and it's you know a magically charged version of like a thing that happens where in real life it happens with like only showing your bad side to like a smaller group of people and then being like super great and super nice to everybody else. And kind of the way that a tendency with narcissists is to charm everybody but their victims, uh, which makes it harder for um, the victims to like get any help. But we we want to be yeah, just as a general depiction thing. in the book, so right, right. But so like he's doing like that, but just magically supercharged. He's not, well. This is why I'm saying we should narrow in on what's in the book. He's not quite doing that. He's actually not doing that. His doesn't work that way. The way his works is things that he says 
people believe. And if you repeat things that he has said, you will also believe that it is true. Um, which is very different. <laughs> um, and I think a big, a big thing that makes his very scary is that like, this is somebody who canonically, um, is incredibly cruel. He's, we, we have evidence to believe that like, he tortures animals and he tortures children and he tortures other people. And we'll, we'll get into like that in a, in a later section, but he has a reputation throughout everywhere in all seven king, all five kingdoms of being incredibly kind and benevolent to those groups because he has stated that he is. <laughs> and they believe him because his power makes them believe essentially brief content warning for harmed animals uh there's there's he has this reputation of being like super super kind to just all of these animals that have cuts on their backs just so many animals he <laughs> just you know, these takes animals care of the them. same injury he's so nice to them like okay, right well why and are they there nobody cares <laughs> why are why are there a bunch of animals all injured in this very similar way and only around his palace and only in his charge and only where he can get at them and yeah right and with his grace it's hard to even like ask yeah it's hard it's so hard to get to step two and the only reason we even have characters who can get to step two is because of what one character's power is yeah we have one character who is immune essentially yeah um well yeah, not spoiling that in this section, but just, you know, the only reason we as the audience are even able to just get that is because there's someone who isn't affected. Um, and even then, it's, I mean, he, he, he murders someone in front of someone and then it's like, oh, no, what a horrible accident. And as soon as he says the words, what a horrible accident, or, you know, whatever the exact text is, then or character's perspective changes to be, oh my goodness, what a horrible accident. I definitely just saw and was not a murder. And it's it's an interesting depiction of this particular trauma because a lot of times for these characters, especially because it is so magically charged and it's not just things that he's saying, but it's backed up by magic that actually influences how you think and what you think. Um, a lot of times... It seems like in at least in book one that the trauma doesn't come when he is talking. The trauma comes when you realize because of whatever is, you know, helping you to to understand that it is a lie and that it's not true. The trauma comes when you realize that you've been magically forced to believe this thing. And 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 that's very particular to this book. Yeah, because a lot of it's a, very, a lot of books that have some kind of mental coercion, they'll have something about how like your true whatever is inside yelling and screaming right. or something. Right, right, right. This that doesn't, doesn't have happen. that. That does not That's happen not, here. Yeah, there's no chance. There's no chance for these characters to go. Oh, that's weird. Like they don't even get that opportunity. And and a lot of and we're not going to talk about it in in this book in particular because this doesn't happen in book one. It happens way more in like the rest of the of the series. But there's a lot of like the trauma. And how it affected people coming out in later books where they just kind of come out of it realizing how bad it was and just it's suddenly harming them in ways that they weren't prepared for because they didn't even know it was happening in the first place. And 
it's such a visceral depiction, but it also, I think, allows the author to really describe the cognitive dissonance in a way that is incredibly visceral, which you can't always get (laughs) in books with this topic. Like, we've talked before about how, like, with gaslighting in particular, you as an as an author, an author kind of has like three options really, right? Option number one is that the reader and the character both believe the same things and you as a reader are almost gas. You're not really gaslit because you're not actually physically in the situation, but it gives you a, mm-hmm. a sensation of being gaslit. When you eventually find out. Right. When you find out that it's not, it wasn't just a lie because a lie is different from gaslighting, even though lying is part of gaslighting but like you as a reader get that like oh oh that was happening the whole time like that happens to you that's that's choice one choice two is that the reader knows what is happening and the character is being gaslit um which i think tends to be the one where like we as a as a podcast tend to rule that this was handled with the most care because it doesn't negate the trauma but it doesn't drag the reader through that feeling. And then option three is that the character does not, is not successfully gaslit and knows what is happening. And so does the reader. And like they, it failed basically. Right. And this book is a very rare example of option one that doesn't feel traumatic to read. We as a reader, we don't have any clues. We are never given any more information than our point of view character has. But because of the nature of how it is done, um, we never get that feeling of like, oh, we relied to. Because the the way that it is handled on screen, it's all very much like backstory to what our main character knows and not things that they are necessarily being told without us in real time. So we get that sensation of like, oh, the little bit we've heard about this kingdom from the beginning of the book is that it's a very nice place and the king is so wonderful and oh my god the story it's great and then the instant that we actually physically run into the anything that has to do with that character we are immediately told no this is magical gaslighting here you go here's what's actually happening here's the cognitive dissonance dissonance and we're gonna lay it out step by step and it's such a rare example of like it's actually fine to read even without us having it spoiled for ourselves, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because like, you know, finding out that information you were given early in the book is incorrect or at the very least incomplete, that's a that's one of my favorite ways for world building to happen. Because yeah, that's it's just like, good story building. That's just good world building. Yeah. Especially in a style where you get a lot of information up front to then have some of that information not quite be right or not quite be useful and have it affect the character that something was off with it. Yeah, it, it's I I like that nearly as much as I like some of the other styles of, of handling background. Especially like the information we are given because we are given we're not given like granular details. We're given like this very broad strokes, positive impression. And that's really it. So there really isn't anything that we have been tricked about because we are being accurately told that the other kingdoms view this kingdom and this king very positively. That's what we are told. And that's not wrong. So again, we don't get the feeling. We don't get the sensation of being lied to. 
But we also 100% were not given the truth. Because, like, it's such a truth that they all... It's such a good handling of it. It's it's really well done. Because it is true that they all view them positively. It's just that the reason for viewing positively is they're being magically gaslit. And it's not (laughs) that they actually... I mean, as they, a kingdom deserve that reputation. It, the kingdom doesn't deserve it, but those people do believe it. Like, it's not a lie to say that they feel that way. And that's just such, it's such a different take. Just all the evidence for why you ought to feel that way is blatant lies. It, or just missing, straight up missing. <laughs> and missing very intentionally. Like, what is your evidence? And the characters who are being magically affected just kind of go, um huh i don't know i mean it's just kind of good right and like that's the point where the reader is kind of clued in like oh that's weird (laughs) um it's just it's just so it's so well handled i just i have a very positive opinion of this book and the way it does that All right, we're going to talk about Katza and coercion. We're also going to spoil what her grace actually is. So if you don't want that spoiler, please go to the wrap up. That's kind of the theme of That's almost a spoiler anyway, because the fact that her grace is wrong is so... Yeah. Um, anyways. I mean, so... But anyway, I, there's not another way to handle that. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, and so... She's told that her grace is death or, or killing, um, basically. And because the first time that she did something that absolutely had to be because of her grace and couldn't be because of something else, she killed someone. And uh, she gets with, with her the coercion because they think that it's death and they treat her like it's death or killing. You have... Um, her uncle the king saying i'm the only person who won't kick you out for your grace like no one wants you no one wants a graceling no one wants no one's a really girl friend like no one wants a girl who's a graceling no one wants a girl graceling who kills people <laughs> and the fact that he's the one increasing how many people she's killed right. seems to somehow mysteriously not factor in um he's like yeah no one's gonna love you ever so i need you to go break this guy's arms <laughs> um yeah it's such a it's so it's such it's such of the like the the variety of if you're not useful to me then i will kick you out and you'll be alone and it's so effective when it's it's just it's a it's isolation is what it is. Just mm-hmm. using her ability as as I don't want to say evidence, because using her ability to isolate her. Yes. And and the the thing that I again like talking about things I really like about the author does. We find out eventually, like, that's not actually what her grace is. It just makes that easier with practice gives her some advantages in combat but like Mm -hmm. the fact that we as a like katza as a character and also we as as the audience we kind of get some hints from the very beginning that like it's probably not that like it's very clear that all characters believe that but we are told like hey there's probably something more happening here um Mm -hmm. and it's done in such a smooth way 
it's just very well well laid out. And then eventually we do find out that her grace is something else. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, aha. <laughs> like, and you have this moment in your reading of like, oh, good, wonderful. She'll be fine. And like, it's, it's really, it's again, it's just really well laid out, really well done in a very clear and concise way that leaves you without you. It, it doesn't leave you feeling confused in any way. Yeah, because you you have something to work off that does seem consistent. And then when you eventually find out that it's something else, it's it's a better explanation that fits more pieces. So it doesn't invalidate any of the pieces that you already had. It's like, oh, that explains this thing she does, this thing she does, and this thing she does. It doesn't like remove, it has more explanatory power as a good theory should a good replacement theory should um yeah and you know they they figure out like a pretty good word that encapsulates what it is that she does um and uh how because of this history of having been coerced um this affects her relationship slash friendship with poe um and I'm going to attempt to not spoil what his ability is, but in, in a world where people have abilities and there may or may not be some misdirection over exactly what the best label is for those abilities, um, there, there becomes a point where she has to like work through whether she's okay staying friends with him after feeling like he coerced her in the way that her uncle had. And he wasn't trying to coerce her, but like, there's even, there's like this bit where she, you know, punches him because she's mad at her uncle. And he's like, I'm gonna let you sort those feelings out because <laughs> we don't, that's need- not how we want to be together. <laughs> Please don't yeah, do this. W- fighting with someone you care about when you're angry is bad. Um, yeah. And ge- fighting when you're angry is like the In reaction general, not, of, I'm not angry, good. I want to punch someone. That's bad. Um, just it's not good and poe says you know we need to not do that and she's like but i'm really angry and i want to punch you and he's like which is why we can't do <laughs> which that is why right we're not doing now that right now <laughs> please no yeah and so there's this like really tricky balance where she doesn't want to feel manipulated mm-hmm. but he also for various reasons is more um emotionally deliberate is what i would say And so it's not that she has, this is not a portrayal of a woman being more emotional than a man. That's not what's happening. It's just that he has had some very good reasons to um, put more labels on what he's feeling in order to better parse it. Yeah. He's just had more practice where he's had to know exactly what is happening than she has. Right. And it's like, it it works out really well because, you know, she has, she, you know, when, when you're being friends with someone who spends way more time thinking about what they say and thinking about what you'll say or how you'll react in reaction to what they say, if you're in a conversation like that and you feel like they have an agenda, that can get very twisty very fast because it can feel like you're being manipulated towards some outcome. Um, and he has that kind of deliberation. And 
it just the, the way the way that they talk through as characters, how that relates to the very blatant I make you murder people in exchange to get food and shelter coercion that is happening with her uncle. They un- the book untangles that and it spends the time. Anyway, I, I really liked it. Practice her being more deliberate because, you know, it doesn't have to be that he's the only one thinking through stuff. And it, I don't know, it just seems like it, things get better for her as she's able to have more intentionality and be around someone who gives her the space to be more intentional rather than just pushing her buttons until yeah. she does what they want. And and she also does a lot of figuring out how to kind of control her vulnerability in the situation too. Um, and I don't mean that in like a victim blamey, it's her job kind of way. I mean that in a like for hashtag spoilers here reasons. Um, she actually has more control over his ability to affect her than she knows about at first. And like the knowledge that she is actually dictating that control gives her a lot of emotional space to heal. And she, she does it. She puts in the work and she puts in the work on screen, which is very, also very, very cool and very good. And in terms of the author setting it up, I'm so glad that like, what could have been one person having manipulated her whole her her whole life and then another person stepping in right to chip away not. at more of the damage like that's not what it is this is about someone where like it could have been this really really toxic fate and instead it's used to help the character heal um to help both of them and it just it's really lovely it's great um then they I mean it's a book and as far as I understand a series where it's where the arc is like kicking out and stopping abuse and then dealing with the wreckage afterwards. That's yeah, very kind of, much so. Yeah. And and I like that. Like that's that's the arc of the story and it's great. On to Bitter Blue and Death of Parent. Yeah, this is the person we had referred to earlier, where uh, the parent, I should say, mother, um, gets murdered. um, And then uh, someone immediately asserts an alternate narrative where, yeah, I don't want to spoil more here, but that's what I was referencing. If you listened Mm -hmm. to section one. Yeah, so she is shot in the back with an arrow. Um, The mother is. And Bitter Blue had been hiding inside a tree because she and her mother had been fleeing. And she had to get told what happened when she, you know, had seen her mother probably just a couple of hours ago. Um, But by the time they located her, it had been several hours at least. And because of, again, stuff going on from topic one, um, she's got to just trust that the people who tell her that her mother is dead aren't um, giving her misinformation. (laughs) Yeah, that they're not helping the murderer. They're not giving her misinformation. And uh, she has this arc with because of who killed her mother and why there's this arc of like, she doesn't. Issues with trust, 
very specific issues with trusting men. Um, and then, you know, the say brief note on aftercare. I really like how she gets to kind of undo some of the, some of that, um, gendered terror, um, yeah. within the space of this book, like as, yeah. as to the level of how it interacts, how she deals with men who aren't her abuser. It's, it's really nice to see someone getting aftercare. I say someone, other people do too, but like this very like specific character, because this is a child. I should say that bitter blue is a kid. I think 10. I think she's 10. We get some flashbacks of when she's nine, but she's 10 in the book. But yeah, that's the general shape of it. I love the aftercare. Um, yeah. It fits the rest of the book. It's, you know, done well, not distracting. There's enough of a time frame involved that it makes sense for her to be in a better headspace by the time she's around a bunch of men again because like you know hey <laughs> they, they went through a very um harsh survival adventure um <laughs> not sure what other points you wanted to say here there's i mean the the big details here are that she she really loses i mean we're talking about the death of her parents she loses her mom off screen for her we see it she doesn't and, like, she knew it was a possibility, um, but she kind of just has to go from, like, escaping from her situation with her mom that she knows and trusts and actually, you know, cares about to just going with these strangers and strangers who may or may not harm her. And it's 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 not a lot more complicated than that, <laughs> um, but it is, like, the biggest emotional like trauma that really happens in the book and it's the one that has like the most lasting effects that we see that continue past the story in book one and you know things like that like our other characters have some pretty big traumas they have to work through but as far as like point of view on screen characters bitter blue has the most that and is the youngest and has the most things that she has to kind of work through and we we know that she's not done by the time the book ends Right. Yeah, because there's a big difference between I no longer think every man is going to try to um, assault and or murder me. There's a big difference between that and being over the specific traumas that have already happened. And, that and there's, was, also, there's also yeah. a big difference between part of my trauma and overcoming my trauma is just taking control of my life and... My trauma will never be over until everybody else is healed, too. And, like, Katza doesn't need other people to heal for her to be fine. Bitter Blue kind of mm -hmm. does. And that makes the, those implications kind of spiral out even past what are under her control to heal for herself. And it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, again, it's really well handled. And if it's it's the kind of thing where, like... If you read book one and you're like, man, that really hurts. I want to, I want Bitter Blue to heal. Like, keep, keep reading. Like, this character does kind of get through it and, and, and work, work it out and feel better and like actually heal. Like, that does happen. It's um, just, it just a doesn't later all happen book. in book one. So, yeah. But as for what is in book one, we get to see 
you know, her, her getting, her getting her, like, some. Like starting those stages, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's evidence that that's happening, um, which is really good. And, uh, you know, strangers show up and say, hey, your mom's dead. If you yeah. would like to not be dead, come with you need me to if come you want with to us. Live. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, that. Fr- there is a technically true but very misguided perspective where you could say that sh- that you know they kidnapped her because it's not like they gave her a ton of option about i mean coming they, with her dying but yeah they they had they yeah they did they objectively didn't. speaking they are taking her away from the guardian but they're also rescuing her from an abusive guardian rescue kidnap it's all in how much freedom you has and she actually has the freedom so yeah yeah I don't know what they would have done if she'd said, no, I'd like to sit in my tree, please. <laughs> um, because if she thought they that they either. were, <laughs> yeah, if she thought they were actually lying or weren't, right. um, didn't have the allegiances they said they had, right? then she might have not gone with them. And I don't, I don't know if they would have said, well, we need to just take you. Um, because, yeah, I don't know. It's also the not not the first rescue slash kidnapping of the book. Um. Hey, Nerf Herders. My name is Case Aiken, and for over two years, I've hosted my show, Another Pass, where I sit down with interesting guests to talk about movies that we find fascinating but flawed. Good movies, bad movies, doesn't matter. We find ways that they could have been improved. So if you ever thought that a sequel dropped the ball by forgetting about a plotline, that an epic could have been saved by introducing the director to an editor, or that a comedy didn't work hard enough to have some substance behind the laughs, then check out Another Pass podcast at certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. On to the wrap-up and ratings for our gratuity rating for Gaslighting. Um, okay, there are a couple of specific instances that I think are severe. I don't know if it averages out to moderate or if given the um, large presence of gaslighting in the fabric of the story that it is severe. Um, I, I think it is very severe for the characters. I don't know how severe it is for the readers. I don't know either. I, I. I want to say it is given so gently to the readers that it is oh, not yes. severe, but I think the character experience of it might push it into moderate. Yeah, I think you. I think moderate. Okay, let's say moderate, and there's a chance, there's a high chance that it'll read more like mild for any individual uh, reader. Yeah, but we're going to err on the side of caution and say moderate. Okay. Next, uh, coercion. Um, <clears throat> I think severe. And I think what, yeah, I think what she's being coerced to do might even make it severe for the reader. Either moderate or severe, depending on your reader experience and like frustration with that particular trauma in books. Especially when there's enough. Um, Explicit description of the coercion going back to very young ages. Yes. Okay. So moderate. Yeah. Or did. Yeah. Okay. 
And death of parent. Uh, I mean, this is probably I'd say, severe, maybe. Yeah, it's either severe or moderate. Um, I, think, I think maybe severe because I think it, the way it's depicted, I don't think bothers us as much. But I think in general, we should mark this as severe with the understanding that if you are listening to this episode or reading our transcript and you're like hmm that and then you read the book and you're like ah that's probably not that bad like this warning probably isn't for you then (laughs) because this is pretty bad if like if that's something that is really traumatizing to you or in general if you feel probably kind of neutral about it like if if it's if it's something that will bother you at all it will bother you in this book i think is the way to mark this yeah okay yeah i i have a um uh my my sense of how graphic a parental death in a book is is very skewed and skewed downwards. So yes, I will um, defer to uh, to your uh, note that this is probably severe. Okay, is it integral, interchangeable, or I- irrelevant? Gaslighting is the the plot. It's like the <laughs> point. It like. I think the gaslighting and the coercion are integral. I could hear an argument for the death of parent being interchangeable, but I do think it's integral too. Um, I was actually going to say it might be irrelevant. You think, oh, oh, for, for, okay. I think it's a lot of very colorful backstory for the character as they go. Um, But it didn't literally have to happen when it did. I think they could have cut it out. I think that there was a, and I don't even want to say they could have cut it out and substitute it with other trauma. I think they could have just cut it out and just had the other trauma already displayed be the whole thing. Okay. I think it's very good world world building. I think it's very good character building, but I don't think it was necessary. And I don't think something else had to swap in for it because it's just an addition to other trauma. It's not even the reason why this character is the way they are. It's just, like the icing on the cake, basically. That's a good point. But you do agree about the gaslighting and coercion oh, yeah, absolutely. being integral. Those are integral. This one is just okay. like, like let's let's be real. If this character's parent had just mysteriously never been in the book, would it have changed anything? <laughs> no. And yeah. given certain things, no one would have questioned them being around either. So, Okay. All right, I I will grant you. Yeah, it's irrelevant. All right then. Were it's the very traumas? Good. Tr- it's very good. It's just not necessary, and it's not something that needs to be traded for something else. Yeah, there's enough other stuff treated with care. The gaslighting, like yes, uh, the coercion, yes. Death of parent, I think. Yeah, I think I want to. S- well, I mean, uh, I think enough. I mean, I think enough. Yeah, I think the, the gaslighting the and bits. coercion are definitely yes. I think the death of parent is enough. I think the only thing that would have made it better is if it were literally completely off screen. But like, but yeah, then the, it wouldn't the, need to be there. <laughs> and so the main yeah, traumatic just... thing about that death is the manner of death and not actually who died. Right. Um, right. And yeah. Like, literally anyone dying that way in the book would be that same level of stuff for most readers. Okay. All right. So that was enough. And, or that was yes 
for co- for gaslighting coercion and enough for death of parent or was it just yes? Uh, it was enough for death of parent. Okay, sounds good. For the point of view, for the trauma and aftermath, uh, well, for it's it's Katz's point of view for the entire book. Trope spotter. For the trope spotter, the superpower lottery. You get a power. You get a power. You get a power. Um, that that's that's how the superpower lo- lottery works. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, there's like powers, and some people get them. Oh, sorry, trope spotter is where we discuss a trope that um, is in the book and generally one that really matters to the book. And like that's the whole premise of Graceling is that some people have these powers called the Graces. And some people, the people who have those powers, they have something that's visually distinct about them that tells everybody else that they have these powers. And the power doesn't seem to necessarily be linked to anything in particular. And there could be someone who had, like, the power to magically blow the best bubbles ever. It is a literal, just, like, randomized lottery. Um. So, yeah. Um, for favorite non-traumatic thing about the book. Hmm. Do you already know yours? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I think mine is... Hmm. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't. You go first. Okay. I mean, just in case this was yours, I didn't want to take it. Like, I, I really love this depiction of an Arrow Ace character. Oh, who, that was not going to be mine. <laughs> who ends up in a relationship. Because, like, it's... it, And it's done in a way that doesn't stop any of her Arrow-ness or Ace-ness. I, and, and, I mean... She I feels very feel demi. She, it doesn't feel... Yeah, it feels very demi. Under the, under, like, the A-spec umbrella. Um... You know, we don't have this character using those specific terms, but she describes, like, generally speaking, being very arrow ace, and then this person feels like the one exception. And I'm like, and that's like, that's textbook Demi. Like, that's just, that's, that's one way for that to look. Um, So, yeah. Uh, And it's, it's good because it doesn't, her being Demi doesn't stop her being a spec and you know that's that's how it works but it's this is not a relationship quote unquote story not a not a redemption not fixing anything the stuff that's getting fixed has nothing to do with that and it's all just like literally hey can you trust another person ever um it's it's separate and they have a lot of like really good very specific language and discussion between the characters in a way that i am astonished is in a book from the early 2000s frankly and i'm very glad that it is i think that's mine i think my favorite thing is how varied the cultures are there is there are a lot of there's a lot of books where they'll tell you when they draw it out and they like sketch it out for you they'll tell you that their cultures are different and then when you are reading the book all inner character interactions feel very the same (laughs) 
And then there's other books where they'll like explicitly say like, you know, I mean, people do different things, but we're all just kind of the same. And they kind of like hand wave it and it's that's fine. Um, But this book like and and this is not the only book we've read that is that does a good job with this. But like this one, I I, I, it kind of stands out to me because of how much the culture that they are in interplays into the story. The 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 almost culture shock as a reader as you go from one kingdom to the next is very palpable and it's very well done. Like you know as a reader by reading a page what kingdom are they in. If you were told here are the kingdoms, here's how they work, here are the ones that they will enter in the book, you can choose a page that has other character interactions, read the interaction and guess and probably be right. Yeah. It's very nice. I wish the setting for, like, the kingdom they start in were, like, a little bit more specifically called out because it feels a little bit like, all right, so you know this is a ripoff of uh, European medieval fantasy. We don't need to describe much. And then we go to, like, Poe's kingdom and it's like, all right, let me tell you about this place because clearly you haven't seen anything like this well, before. But but that, that I, is how I people wish tend that- to treat their own... Like, I would actually argue that that's not what's happening. I would argue that we are going from... Katz's kingdom that she doesn't think needs explaining because it's hers to Mm -hmm. a place that is foreign to her. Sure. Because none of the kingdoms, none of them, none of the ones in this book could you look at and say, well, you are absolutely not European medieval fantasy. Like all of them are, but the ones that get described are the ones that are new to our main character. It's not that like hers is somehow more of that archetype than any of the others. It's just that we're we're reading her point of view. So like she doesn't explain the ins and outs of like the thing that is intimately familiar to her because it's just how life is and that's just the life she knows. But when we go to somewhere that is new to her, we get like Yeah, her and if she did, I'd probably be like, Why are you telling me how hearths work? Okay. No, I see your point. Yeah, like <laughs> that would be weird. That would it'd be weird if, if like if someone walks into my house, I'm not gonna say, Okay, so in America, here's how we construct doors. And usually it we it's a good idea in a place that it, you did not like oversee the construction of to replace the screws on the latch of your front door with longer screws to make it so that you can't just kick it open if someone is trying to get into your house like that's not a detail that i'm going to give you <laughs> but if i'm going with somebody from america to a different place or even a friend coming from a different country and we are going somewhere that neither of us has been before we might comment like oh man ceilings are so low here like that makes yeah. sense yeah and it would feel really weird if if somebody walks into my house and i'm like okay so i know traditionally americans on tv are depicted with fireplaces however like that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> crack <laughs> like however my home does not uh, does not appear to have one like that's not how people are that's not how we yeah, share yeah, yeah. details Nah, good point. I just, I was just thinking about like what does and doesn't get treated as the default. Well, I mean, it, but it's Katz's home. Like, I this is where like I think the the like first the single character versus like omniscient narrator perspective makes a big difference because if if we had like a third person narrator who is over here like so Katz's home is clearly the default and everyone else is weird like that wouldn't make any sense. That would read really weirdly. Yeah, but if it's my house and I'm the one telling the story and I go like, so my, my, you know, <laughs> my, my dresser is cedar 
And when I touch it, I can hear the faint <laughs> cries of the loggers. Like, that makes no sense. But if you're being a really dramatic, omniscient narrator, you might include a really weird detail like that that a character wouldn't actually think about because it's interesting to the narrator, but that doesn't have anything to do with the character. But our characters are our voice and they're not going around noticing things that are odd in their own home because it's not weird to them. It's just that is how life is. I don't know. I just want what Poe thinks about Katz's kingdom. <laughs> oh, I would love, all, I would love a Poe. Well, th- this is the other thing too. Actually, Robin, I know you haven't read book two yet. Yeah. Um, but like, in that's book the two, point of the more books. <laughs> but it is a little bit like in point in book two, we definitely get what feels like our character looking at their kingdom and going, aha, well, this is weird. Cause we're recovering from a trauma. But also, this seems normal to me. I guess I need to go look deeper. Like, you know, and, and like we get that feel in a way where from Katz's perspective, that kingdom felt very foreign. Um, and I, I think I think it would be a little bit different because of like the connotations of the author's perspective. If one of these kingdoms was like clearly Asia and one of them was clearly Africa and one of them was clearly South America, but it's not like that. They're all vaguely white, midi well, not even white, actually. They're all kingdom structure wise vaguely white european fantasy but the kingdoms are not white people any of them Mm -hmm. and like yeah none of them feel like the archetype for something else true i guess it's not like i I think it would be very different i think it would be very different if it was like you know omniscient narrator treats cats as home as the default but like my home is my default. <laughs> like, I'm from America. I went to Sweden once. I don't remember very much of it. America is my default. If I went anywhere else, I and I would I would notice. I would notice differences. For that matter, mm-hmm. America is so varied. If I went to the if I go to the south, I feel a cultural difference. I would probably think about it very similarly to the way that Katza like describes other cultures because she's walking in somewhere that is not familiar to her. Like that's how I feel about the American like southern culture (laughs) like the couple of times i've been to texas i'm like uh this is weird i don't know how to act here things are slightly like buildings are not different because it's all the same kind of like everything that goes into them but like it's it feels weird because it's not it's not how i interact with my environment it's not how the the things that i'm familiar with interact with our environments the people that i'm familiar with it's not how we treat our environment like it's just different Yeah, yeah yeah Anyway, I agree with you that the kingdoms are cool. I, I think uh, the way that they are depicted is very interesting. And I think it I think it's uh-huh. I really I I you should read book two and three. <laughs> like it's very it is very funny to get like, you know, Katza treats this place as like, ooh, odd, and then we get into the other character's head and they're like, ah, home. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's it's very well done. Good. All right. Uh I think that brings this episode to a close. Thank you so much for joining us this fortnight and we will catch you in another fortnight.
All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at ko-fi.com slash booksthatburn or becoming a monthly supporter on patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list bonus content including the second half of all interviews and will receive a one-time shout out to get updates on our written reviews recent episodes and newly completed transcripts subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn you can find us on apple Podcasts, pandora spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review wherever you're listening this helps people to find the show thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks